Don't get all quiet and religious on us. That's, uh, that'll, that'll make the service longer. Amen. How many are glad what God's doing in your life? God's, God's blessing my life. Amen. Look at somebody. Tell them God's blessing my life. Amen. God's blessing my house. God's blessing my spouse. Amen. God's blessing my workplace. God's blessing my city. God's blessing my state. God's blessing my nation. Oh, come on. I said God's on the move. Amen. God's on the move. Look, you already know what the end's going to be. You know, I understand that there are times, there are days when, when, when life kind of shakes you and knocks you off track just a little. And, 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 you know, the temptation is to entertain that second thought, right? Because the first thought is that, well, God's for me, not against me. The second thought is uh, maybe he forgot who I am, right? The, the first thought is uh, God's going to heal my body. The second thought is I ain't feeling real good, right? The first thought is God's going to supply all my needs. And the second thought is I don't see any way we're going to afford this. Uh, you know, well, when that second thought comes, I want to just encourage you, look at the end. Just look at the end. You already know what God's going to do. Come on. Don't buy into the lie. Well, I don't, I don't know. You know, God's mysterious. No, he's not. He, he, he's, he's written you a book describing who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he's going to do. He's not mysterious. You know what the end is. The end is better. Your end condition is better than your current condition. Right. So so you, let's look at the end. What's he going to do? Well, he's going to encourage. He's going to lift up. He's going to position you to win or succeed in any given situation. He's going to give you more strength than you know how to handle. He's going to fill your cup to overflowing. He's going to prepare a table for you in the midst of your enemy. He's, he's coming through and look at the end and just realize ain't got no need for a second thought. Amen. I'm just going to press on to the end and, and praise God all the way and live a life that humiliates hell. Amen. I'm telling you that that's that's your that's your goal this week is to humiliate hell every day of the week. Right. Don't don't give him don't give the enemy a day. Right. Because, well, you already heard it from the Bible. The enemy doesn't stand a chance. So here's the deal. You have this insane advantage. Live like it. I said live like it. Amen. I think God's worthy of one more big praise. Let's give it to it. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Aren't you glad the favor of God's a shield all the way around you? Amen. Well, you know, holiday weekend, isn't it cool? You know, almost most of us, uh, you know, I don't want to say nobody has to work tomorrow because then somebody will stand, well, I do, and then they'll be in a bad mood. And, so we're not going to go there. But, uh, uh, you know, the reality is that we get this great time to be with family and friends and celebrate and just have, have, have a, just a, a great long weekend. And, and it's been really awesome for us because, you know, Shelby and I, we really believe that we're the richest people in Tri-Cities. Yeah, I'm telling you, I believe I'm the richest guy in town. I mean, good Lord, look at my wife. I look at her sometimes to forget what we're doing. But, uh, okay, back to church. Okay, yeah, got great wife, great kids. Uh, God's surrounded us with a great team, great body of believers helping us fulfill the God-given vision. Man, we're blessed. And then on top of it, you know, into our life, uh, God's brought, oh, there's the challenge. The kids think they have more victory than you do. I don't believe that. It, it, not, not for one minute. On three, what we're going to do is we're just going to scream and scare them. Okay, and make the wall kind of verberate just a little bit, and uh, don't get all religious. We're just we're just responding to the challenge. One, two, three. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And I know what you're thinking. I thought this was church. It is. We're it is. We're having a good time, all right? Have and enjoy life. Okay. But uh, on top of all those blessings, God's added relationships to Shelby and I that, that just prove the favor of God in our life. And uh, this weekend, we're really blessed to have the opportunity to, to uh, share the, uh, with you one of those relationships that God is just growing and, and building up in our life. And, and I just want to tell you something before I have Dennis come uh, from Puyallup. He's been in Puyallup uh, 21 years. I keep wanting to make it longer. Uh, but then I forget you're only like 29, so it can't be it can't be that long. Uh, but he's been there for a long time, faithful, 
uh, loves his people, loves the church. He's got uh, a lot of wisdom, a lot of insight, a lot of revelation. We draw from his gifts a lot here. Uh, and but the, the best thing about him is his wife loves him. Well, that, that matters to me. You know, I, I know some guys that seem to have a lot of revelation, but nobody in the house can stand them, and that kind of makes me nervous, so they, they don't come here. Uh, his, his wife loves him. His kids honor him. I'm proud of you. I, I want you to know that. You're, you're a good son. And, uh, you know, if, if you have to come live here sometime, somebody will take you. Um, he's got great family. And, and all the things that matter to us uh, are in them. And so it's just a privilege and an honor to be able to share him with you today. I want you to welcome Pastor Dennis Cummins to the platform. Dennis. We give all that to God. Amen. Well, yes, you know, I've got to do the... The, the normal thing that every pastor does or evangelist does when they get up here is to return thanks. But that's not because I'm, I'm doing anything with my nose. I'm doing it with my heart. Because uh, my wife, Lori, my oldest son, Daryl, and i got two other kids running around here, Chase and Blake. And uh, we love your pastors, Pastor Tom and Shelby. Uh, we invaded their life about two and a half years ago. We met at a uh, pastor's day at uh, Pastor Rick Sharkey. Uh, that he was holding in Spokane, and so we connected there through Pastor Tony Cook, and and I said, hey, when this thing's over, I'm going to stop by your church. Whether you want it or not, here I come. And uh, it's been a mess ever since, but here we are, and we're just thanking God for what God is doing. I believe in your pastor, and the the cool thing... I was raised in the church. My wife was raised in the church. We're both PKs, similar to Pastor Tom, except we were more in one place than he was. Um, but I, I, I was raised on the platform. I had a little red chair that sat next to my dad's organ. And so if I ever messed up or, or cut up, he'd just flip around his class ring and lay an egg on my head. <clears throat> and I'd come back, too, and straighten up. But that, that, that was our heritage, and, and I've been around some pastors, and there's a lot of pastors that suck, right? I mean, they're bad in more areas than good in a few, and, and, and they can't preach, or they, they can't even communicate. They have no interpersonal skills, and yet they, they, they have to stand before people and talk and bore them to death, and they can't read the people, and yet your pastor, he can preach. He's, he's got an anointing on him to preach, and... He's an evangel pastor or something. I don't know. I, and uh, I appreciate his message. I listen online and connect and, and, and love to feed on that. And, and I appreciate the worship. And, and it, it is a rare find to find a pastor that is multi-talented, but yet uh, not multi-egotistical. Right? Because Shelby is in his life. The great humbler. Remember, she prefers tickling over correction. We found that out last night. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, tonight, today, I, I just want to encourage you in a topic called developing the professional in you. And uh, this is about you in the marketplace. It's about you as a husband, a wife, a father, a grandparent, a mother, and somebody that is involved in the kingdom business. This is about you and every facet of your life. And I'm going, to, I'm going to direct most of this to the kingdom of God and the kingdom work. But this all is parallels. It just parallels through all the other verticals in your life. And so uh, I, I don't want you to think this as some sterile topic. Because we hear professionalism and sometimes we think stuffy shirts. So this is going to be boring. And, uh, no, this, is, this has got to be with the anointing on it, God's presence on it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. And, fathers, I, your servant, stand here today. I just pray that you would fill my mouth. And, Lord, I just 
pray that my tongue is as the pen of a ready writer, and I pray that you would write upon the hearts of men and women here today new revelation knowledge, unctions from the Holy Ghost. I pray that strongholds are broken, vision is created, excitement is renewed, hope is garnered. And, Father, we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. All right. First, I've got to beat you up for a second. I want to, I want to show you this. <laughs> That's a joke. You know, if we believe in the supremacy of Christ, if we believe in the anointed one, if we believe that the greater one is on the inside of us, if we believe that we're more than a conqueror, then as a born-again Christian, there should be some statistical differences between the saved and the unsaved. How many agree with that? I mean, there ought to be glaring distinctions between the saved and the unsaved. But uh, George Barna, he does a lot of research and, and studies and statistics uh, regarding current cultures and trends and, and some of the things that are taking place in the world concerning the church. And one of his research uh, studies that he did shows that there is little or marginal differences between Christians and non-Christians when it comes to moral distinctions, uh, meaning divorce and living together. There's very little distinction between those that claim to be born again and those that don't claim to be born again that get divorced and live together. There's very little distinctions between those that are born again and those that are not born again in serving, serving the community, giving of their time to serve someone else. And, and you know what Jesus said? I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. I mean, that's our motto. What about health issues? Very little distinctions when it comes to health issues. And I don't understand that. We got the power of God. We got the healing atonement. We got the stripes that were laid upon the Son of the living God's back. He bore them for you, and He bore them for me. It just takes the faith. We just got to get in agreement with the Word of God and the will of God. Profess, and I can't tell you how many Christians we run into, they don't know that there's healing scriptures in the Bible. Walking around ignorant and sick. Lifestyle, entertainment, and the way we use technology. The differences on, on what we watch and the movies we watch. Very little distinctions. And regarding economic patterns related to charitable giving, savings, and spending. Little or no difference. Little or no difference. Yet, God has called us to be unique. A peculiar people. A peculiar nation. A people that have been called out to have the light of God, the power of God, the anointing of God on us, the favor of God to empower us to do what the world can't do. We, we should be standouts. Every one of us. We should be sought out in the marketplace. We should be able to put Christian on our resume, and that just put it right on the top. Not this, uh, we'll get back to you. We'll keep it on file and lie to you. Hmm? Dan Daniel was this kind of person. I want you to turn into your Bibles to Daniel 5. Daniel 5, and I'm going to start with 11 and then verse 12. It says, there's a man in your kingdom who is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him the chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Now, this is awesome. I'm seeing something here because Daniel was a professional in every area of his life. He, he was so effective in everything that he did, the king walked up to everybody that was in line after him, everybody that was at the top of the charts in every place of leadership, and he just said, y'all just move down. Dan, you're right. I need you. You're right at the top here. I need you. I can't run this kingdom without you. Without you. Without you. What's your name? Evora? Evoria. I tell you what. When there's an issue going on in the business and the company, 
They're going to be saying, where is Evoria? we got a problem. There's something going on with the numbers. We don't understand it. We're facing something, and it's cataclysmic. If we don't get it solved, I know that she's a Christian. I know that she's got the favor of God on her life. I know that she can get in to the wisdom of things that I don't understand. I've got to have her at my side running this country. Country. Company. Church. Why? Because there's something on him. Well, look at this. Verse 12. Because an excellent spirit was in him. Knowledge was in him. Understanding to interpret dreams. Did you know that there's a lot of sinners that have dreams that they cannot interpret? And they are dreams waiting to be resolved by the man of God or the woman of God that can come up and say, this is what God's trying to speak into your life. And I know this is troubling you and it's been troubling you. And here's the answer. And that opens their eyes. Not only that, but to solve problems and to explain riddles. Look, look at these numbers. I, I just don't understand. Well, let me pray about this. Let me get the mind of God on this. And you're shaking in your boots, right? Because that's faith. Because now you've got to get on your face before God. You may have to fast and pray so you can come back with the answer. But you know what? You just need to be the vessel. God wants you to solve problems. You're a problem solver. Now, let me ask you this. What comes to mind when I say the word professional? I want some synonyms. I want you to just slowly shout them out to me so we can capture them all. But when I say the word professional, what comes to mind? Skilled. Dedicated. Honest. Knowledgeable. Integrity. Persistent. Successful. Trustworthy. The best. Okay, I'm going to read my list. Check this out. Skilled. Continuing to grow. Prepared. High standards. Rehearsed. Developed. Educated. Wisdom. Experience. Trustworthy. Competent. Good. Under pressure. In demand. Accomplished. And seasoned. Let's face it, when we have an issue in our life, a crisis moment, who do we call on? We call on a professional. Don't say Ghostbusters, all right? <laughs> Unless you need your pastor, he'll bust up some ghosts in Jesus' name. You call a professional. Now, what are some antonyms, some, some uh, adjectives, some descriptions that are the opposite of professional? When I say professional, something that's the opposite. Lazy, shaky, are you a surgeon? <laughs> Sluggard, what? Dishonest, sloppy, unprepared, bad under pressure, unreliable, deceiving, flaky. Notice how these are just rattling off your tongue. Because we have more experience with a lack of professionals in our life rather than professionals in our life. And you know what? Non-professionals tend to hang around non-professionals because there's a cost to hanging around professionals. There is a premium. And it's interesting. Anytime you hang around a professional when they're not working, they're not working. When they're off, they're off. Because... They've got a different mindset. I'm, I'm going to throw out some here that's opposite of professionals. Wing it. Just get by. Not trustworthy. Okay, stop right there. Think of church environment now. Think of church environment, church volunteers, church. And I'm not talking about the garden. I'm talking about your experience over your vast years of being in church culture. Wing it. Just get by. Not trustworthy. That's good enough. Failure to meet deadlines. Mistakes. Terrible under pressure. Over their head. I believe 
every one of us should walk out of here seeing ourselves as a professional. But the problem is, is when I start saying the word professional, people immediately go to what we call skill level. Well, my skill level, how can I be a professional because I'm only a cashier? I'm only uh, a, a line cook. I'm only a, a, um, uh, a delivery person. I'm only. And so we go to the skill set rather than we're, we're thinking about, I, I would need a Ph.D. I need a doctorate. I, I need some, some acronyms after my name. I need a special title. I need to be in the field so many years before somebody would consider me a professional. And so we check out and we just consider ourselves status quo. Well, this is where I'm at. This is my lot in life. Stop it. Stop it. Stop. Look at, look at skill level. A person's skill level is the absolute wrong benchmark for regarding somebody as a professional. There's many of people that have great skills, but nobody can work with them mm-hmm. because they rest on their talent and, and they don't have any what we call emotional quotient. See, there's a difference between IQ and EQ. Your IQ is your intellect or your intelligent quotient, which is how smart are you with books? That's the uh, what is jeopardy? Right. Those people make me sick. And, and you know what? I'm just going to say it. If you're ever on Jeopardy, forgive me. But, you know, those people, they're book smart, but I guarantee you their marriage is upside down. They, you couldn't sit down and have a competent conversation with them. See, that's, that's your intelligent quote. I know my books. I, I've got things memorized. I can, I can recite things. But they have no emotional quote in how to interact with the human being around them. IQ versus EQ. And, you know, if we look at this, it, it's kind of like playing at the U.S. Open. Once a year, there's a annual golf tournament for the PGA, the Professional Golfing Association. And the U.S. Open, uh, they will allow somebody that qualifies, a non-card holder, a non-professional, if they qualify in all these other little tournaments, they can come in and actually play at the U.S. Open. And that gives them a shot to win. Now, this is great because it shows that they have the technical competency. They know how to swing the club. They know how to put the ball on the green and put the ball in the hole. They can do it really good. But what it doesn't show and what it doesn't reveal is when they show up, they're in a complete different realm. Oh, it's still a golf course. But now there's thousands of fans in the gallery. And most of them are drunk. That's the ball! You know, they're just belligerent. I've been around some of them out there at the golf. It's just crazy. And there's cameras everywhere. And you got the media and all the pressure at the tee box. Everybody's watching. Right? And the, the fairways are so narrow. And they have some of the deepest roughs. And they get out there. And now they're starting to realize that this is a whole different ball game. I want you to know that people that view themselves as professionals outperform, outsmart, and outlast other people in the workplace. They're less likely to be a victim of downsizing, receive pink slips. They don't seem to land in their box anymore. And they tend to not end up in the unemployment line as often. And the employers aren't saying... Oh, you know what? I can't afford to pay you. They're saying, I can't afford to do business without you. Please don't leave. How much more do I need to pay you? Why? Because you're an asset in the company, not a liability. You become an asset in the church, not a liability. And you know what? Here's here's the first thing you need to kind of see is a professional realizes there's a difference between doing something rather than being someone. Help me. Y'all just say, Amen! Well, y'all just talk to me like Pastor Tom would be up here. Y'all scared of me? There's, there's such a difference between just doing something and being someone. 
you know, I, I've dealt with people in my own church. I'm going to talk about my church because nobody's here. <laughs> I've dealt with people that, well, I just usher. I just usher. What well, you really want to know what they're saying? I just take this bucket and pass it around aisle to aisle. Here you go. Here you go. We can get a monkey to pass a bucket. Right? It, we might get a bigger crowd. Man, that church got monkeys. Real monkeys. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Because, because people are equating who they are based on that little skill level that is required. And they're missing the whole picture. Well, I just work with the kids. Not anymore. Because <laughs> you don't see the bigger picture. Well, you don't understand. I just vacuum. Really? I just, I just clean the, the bathrooms and, and swash the toilet. That's the most menial task. I guarantee you, you got a dirty toilet, you got a guest that won't be back. If that toilet smells like it's from Nepal, they won't be back. Come on. I, I, I don't know. How, how many churches have you walked into, Pastor Tom, that it smelled like there was a potluck the night before and it was sauerkraut and it was just in the building forever? You, you know the church smell. You walk in and you're just going, what died? It's the church people. They've been dead for years sitting in the pews. And nobody can smell it. You know, the church stank. I just opened the door. I just opened the door for people. That's all I'm, I'm a door. Well, we can get an automated button to do that. We can get infrared eye to open doors. We don't need somebody to open doors. We need somebody to connect with people. Because here's the deal. You only get one chance at a first impression. And that first impression is within 30 seconds of them walking or driving onto the parking lot and then walking in the doors. 30 seconds, and you can have the best worship and the best preaching, and you can't overcome a bad first impression with that. Because they'll be sitting there put off or offended. Because Beelzebub is back there holding the door for people and ticking people off. No. I'm so over that. And his name... Yes, it's in here. <laughs> you know, though, no matter what we're doing, we need to put our hat on, our professional hat. There, there's times in pastoring you, you've got to wear multiple hats, you know. And there's times that I'll have to sit in and play drums for our church because two drummers are gone one weekend. Okay, So I'm like, okay, I'll cover. But I don't walk in a rehearsal saying, I'm the senior pastor. I can just kind of show up. I can goof around. I don't know the songs. I didn't listen to the songs. But you know what? Too bad because I'm, I'm the big shot. I can, I can do all it. No, I show up because I've rehearsed. I know my parts, and the band's not waiting on me. Why? Because that's what I'm called to do. I take off my senior pastor hat and put on the drummer hat because I'm a professional at what I do when I do it. You see, that's what we got to do. And I believe that there's a great vision here for the garden. And I, and I want to ask, do you, have, do you have and do you know your pastor's vision? Do, do you see what he sees? Because I know some people in, in church culture, they've got a vision for the church, but it's not the pastor's vision. And you know what division is? Die, vision, die, divide, that means there's just more than one vision. It doesn't mean it's a wrong way. It's just wrong because there's, there's another vision that's right for the house. There may be good plans for the house, but they're not God's plan. Right? And so you've you got to get the vision and, uh, of the heart of your pastor to know what he sees so you can hook up with that. What, what do you see at the end of ten years? Do you know what your pastor sees at the end of five years and ten years? Tom Watson, 
he was the uh, founder, or Tom Watts, excuse me, he was the founder of IBM. And he was sitting there, and he, before he actually started IBM, he sat down, and he thought about, when I retire, what is this company going to look like? And he imagined a global business, a billion-dollar business. And then he sat down, and, and he was thinking, well, if we're that big, how would the employees and the upper management and the CEOs, how, how would the people act if we were that big? How would they carry themselves? How would they think and process information? And then he said, in order for us to be that then, we've got to act that way now. Do you see the end? Because a lot of that is a faith walk. And when you're walking in faith, you've got the attitude of faith saying, hey, it's happening right now. We're part of it right now. Yeah, well, we're not there yet. We're years away from that. And it's no big deal if I'm not here this weekend because something better came along. Mm. Mm. And that comes to the training. And, you know, I believe church is always ever training because we're always bringing in new people, new sheep. And a lot of times if they come from other churches, you've you got to break bad habits. You've got to pull out wrong thinking. And you know what? When it comes to training, the Army has been determined to have the best leadership training in the marketplace and the one thing that determined that was because they figured out lives are on the line. God bless our military. I served in the Navy for a short time. But I do have an understanding a little bit of military. And really, the military has the best train. The Army has the best training over the church. They're, they're talking about mortal lives. We're talking about eternal life. Shouldn't we have the best? We got the best training manual. And why is that? Because I believe that sometimes in church we don't take serious what we're doing. We don't. You know, the secular, the secular workplace and marketplace, they, they take way more serious what they're doing that has no eternal benefit. Anybody familiar with the band Journey? Yeah, carnal people, I think. No, no, no. Yeah. All right. So, so here's Journey, and and probably one of their their most played songs is "Don't Stop Believing." Right? Yeah. How many times do you think that they performed that song? Thousands, thousands. And of course, the new lead singer now, and and but but. The drummer and the guitarist and keyboard player and the singers and the background vocal, all that. You know, they get up. Okay, it's a thousand and two time to sing this. Can't stop believing. Whoa, whoa. No, I guarantee you every time they sing that song and play that song, they're playing it like it's their opening night. Why? Because they're selling T-shirts and CDs. Concerts are there to market their paraphernalia at the end of the concert. That's where they make all their money. And why do they sing it with everything they have, even though they sang that song a thousand and one times live before audiences? Because they see the benefit, the carnal benefit. But we come to church and we see one of the songs, and I, I believe Amazing Grace is, is one of the cornerstone songs of Christianity. And we walk in, Amazing Grace, boy, we sang this forever. Ho, 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 this song. Who picked these songs this week? God tells us to sing a new song. Sing a new song. This ain't a new, sing it with a new attitude. About a new attitude, and you know, I'm not, I'm not talking just about the people that are on the stage in the worship team. I'm talking about people that are standing in the, in the congregation, and new people walk in, and they hear, rather than they're singing it like it's their first time. They're getting new revelation as they're singing it, and I tell you what, the impression that comes off to the other people are like they believe what they're talking about. 
That's what a professional does. But here it goes. Bill Weiserman, he said this, he, and I'd love for you to write this down. You can have consistency without trust, but not trust without consistency. You can have consistency without trust, but you can't have trust without consistency. I'm going to break this down. Without consistency, you don't know what or who you can count on. You can have somebody on your team consistently late, consistently missing deadlines, consistently over budget, consistently emotionally erratic, consistently difficult, but I guarantee you, you don't trust them. Well, they're consistent. But you can't have trust without consistency. An expectation that, you know what? If you've ever worked in the music studio, the music business, and you go to the studio, typically what you do is you'll hire in musicians to play different parts. And you'll have that part either pre-recorded or the sheet music and chord charts, and all of that is either emailed or Pro Tools sent over to them or, or however they, they get that. And that professional is expected to show up to know their part as though they've been with the band the whole time. So that way, when you're paying the expensive hourly rate at the studio, they walk in, they lay it out, they're done, pack up, and walk off, and they still got a good name in the industry. And you want to know how they got hired? Because they did it right the last time. And they did it right the time before. And they did it right the time before. And I, I've seen people in my own music ministry, and they walk in, and you know, you, I don't know what else to do besides to possess them physically and practice through in their body. You email the song list. You send them the, the music on how it's supposed to sound. And, and, and you call them and you tell them we're going to do a new song. Practice it. And then they show up and they go, We're doing this song? I didn't know that. And I'm thinking, dear God, this is for the kingdom of God. Where's our standard? Where's our standard? Do we not take seriously what we're doing? Well, if I was making $400 an hour in the studio, I would take it serious. Ooh, we just found your priorities. <laughs> and I think some of the most frustrating people that I've found in my life are what I call gifted savants. These are the rain man people in ministry. Right. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie with Rain Man, but but you got you got Tom Cruise and and he finds out that his brother is this savant and he's gifted in in mathematician uh, in math. And uh, he found out because a box of toothpicks got dropped and spilled all over the floor and he immediately was able to count two, 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 240, 240, 242 toothpicks. And, and Tom Cruise says, what, what, what? And he figured out he could count. So I'm like, he's like, oh, I could take him to Vegas. We could count cars and we can make a mint. Because an incredible gifting. And I've had people in my life and you, you, you see them play the piano. You see them teach. You see them do something in the ministry. And you go, dear God, look at the gift on that person. Get on in here. And so Tom Cruise, he takes them to Las Vegas, and they're sitting at the table, and he, he's counting cards, and all of a sudden the pressure starts coming on him. And all of a sudden he crashes, and then he goes back into a catatonic state. Man, that just described a lot of people that I've worked with in my past. Frustrated. Why? Because they've got a gift, but you can't have the trust in them to consistently perform the gift. Pastor Tom says it. I can't consistently say what he says, but what he's going to say is about the consistency of whatever you're doing. You cannot consistently perform a task that's inconsistent with your character. What he said. Okay, so up to this point, I want to ask you three things. Up to this point, have you considered yourself a professional? Rhetorical question, answer it to yourself. Have you looked into the mirror, even this morning, did you look in the mirror and did you see a professional standing there or somebody that's just limited because of your skill level or what you've been asked of to do? The next acid question would be this. Up to this point, have other people viewed you as a professional? 
when they look at you, when they call you, when they talk to you, do they, and I, do, do you think that they're just looking at your menial skill level or who you are and what you are as a professional, regardless of what you've been called to do? And thirdly, does God view you as a professional? Being a professional helps us set high standards. High standards for ourselves that motivates us to do things that the typical person isn't willing to do. I remember being at the hospital. Uh, my assistant had had a baby with a heart defect. We're at Mary Bridge, and that, that baby was in surgery for 17 hours. 17 hours. And we were waiting in the waiting room, and the doctor walked in, and he was white as a ghost. He'd been operating for 17 hours nonstop. And he says, I want you to understand that the condition of this baby's heart, of any infant's heart, is like wet tissue paper. That's the consistency. And this is what he was working with. And there was problem after problem after problem. And he stood there and he did everything that he knew he could do. And I stood back in reverence of seeing somebody as a professional. Because Bubba Gump would have quit. The average Joe would have said, well, you know, I think I've done everything. No, the professional does what other people aren't willing to do. And I'm not just talking about sewing up little babies' hearts. I'm talking about picking garbage up off the floor. So I'm going to blow through these five things, five things. Professionals, number one, have a bias for results. Why do you call a professional? Because you know you're going to get something done. You're going to get a result. That's why you want a professional in your life. And it's interesting because professionals don't give up. They don't quit. And they're men and women of their word. They're integral. And if we look at Proverbs 6, 6, it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Go to the ant. Look at the ant. Have you ever looked at the ant hill and how they're just so busy? Right, and they're just working away and building. And I got a new rock. Here's a new pebble. Move this one over. Okay, I've got some more food. And then I just walk up and just kick the mound over. <laughs> I have yet to see all the ants go. Ah! I quit. <laughs> yeah, this is like the fourth time we've had to rebuild this dumb thing. No, what are they doing? Come on, guys, let's rebuild it. Yay! Because they don't care about what happened. They care about what is happening. Ken Blanchard, he said this. He said, there's a difference between interested and commitment. When you're only interested in something, you you only do it when it's convenient. But when you're committed, when you commit to something... You, all, you, you accept no excuses, only results. And, and I believe that there are people in the church, in the house of God, they are so interested. They're interested in the kingdom work. They're interested in what's going on in the church, but they're not committed. These are the people that in my church, they'll, they'll call up their leader and say, Saturday night, because we don't have Saturday night service, they'll call up Saturday night or send a text. I won't be there tomorrow. Bye. Is that a professional? That's not a professional. A professional says, hey, I just want to let you know an emergency has come up because this was not a scheduled time away. I'll say it again. An emergency has arisen. It's not a scheduled time for me to be away, but I just want you to know that I've made sure That John or Cindy is going, she's on the list, and she has committed to take my place. And I just wanted to let you know because I'm being accountable. That's a professional. 
A non-professional says, I'm not going to be there and it's your problem. See ya. That's just somebody interested. And I love it because I've got people on my teams that, that they understand that if they're going to be gone, they've got to replace themselves with somebody on the team. And if they can't replace themselves, they can't be gone. Welcome to commitment. Welcome to professionalism. Welcome to the weight of the kingdom of God. Mindset number two. Professionals realize and they act like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. I love this one. They realize it and they act like they're a part of something that's bigger than themselves. In other words, let me ask you this. Does the organization exist for you? Or do you exist for the organization? Because a lot of people I, I run into in ministry, and I've had a few on staff, that they feel like the church exists there for them to meet their needs. Because they have significance issues. I had one lady, but wow, she had this significance issue, and she made sure that, that she had all these relationships with other women in the church to where it was strategically placed that if they ever had an issue, if they ever had a problem, if they ever had a need, they would always call this lady. Why? Because it made her feel important. She wanted to be elevated. She wanted to be known as the problem solver. She wanted to be known as the one that they could depend on and she could help out. I'm sorry. I thought we were supposed to point people to Jesus. Not ourselves. It means that we commit to the success of the organization, your, your business, over yourself. I was just meeting with a pastor a couple weeks ago. He was a staff pastor taking care of uh, home groups and, um, and the information technology side of things. And he realized that he could save the church a lot of money if they contracted all the information technology systems out. And then he could focus more on life groups. The pastor said, that's a great idea. So they brought on... The, 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 this new contract to take care of all the information systems and gave a six-month severage package and said, thanks, it's a great idea. That is the best thing we could have done for the church. And he's standing there like, well, wait a minute. I was, now I'm out of a job. And I was having lunch with him, and I said, you know what? I said, what you did was what was best for the church, not for you. And because you did what was best for the church, God's favor will continue to be upon your life. Because God meets your needs, not a J-O-B, not a title. And so many times we're trying to protect our territory and, and, oh, this is mine. Nobody touch it. I've been the Sunday school superintendent for 35 years. Hallelujah. Got the big weave bun up there. You been to my church? <laughs> It means that success transcends our own personal interest, and it also means that we're going to collaborate with other team members. We're going to look above our own cubicle and say, I want to do this, but how does it affect this person and this ministry and this area? How does this affect pastor? You know, I, I've seen this. I, I've, had, I've had, really, life's not that bad. I'm talking about history, really. But, but I've experienced where staff members just pull out of things and, and not want to commit and be involved in other things because it's not my department. It's not my department. I see no personal gain or benefit in me being there and doing it. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just because the music ministry isn't a part of, of the men's ministry night, if the men's ministry night is reaching more men and the, the, they're getting saved, and, and the church is growing and thriving, it affects the music ministry. Oh. Moving on. I'm over that, too. <laughs> Mindset number three, professionals know that things get better when they get better. 
Matthew 12:35 says, The good man brings the good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil that is stored up in him. You know, we can only give what we got. And I tell you, there are times when, when you are in your position and in your place, there are times that you're going to need something that has been stored up. You've been in your prayer closet. You've been praying in the Holy Ghost. You've, you've been seeking the face of the Father. And then when that moment comes, you're ready because you've got that good stored up in you. You've been packing it away. It's interesting. They say that 95% of the decisions that a CEO of a Fortune 500 company makes, a competent high school graduate can make those decisions. A competent high school graduate could make 95% of the decisions a Fortune 500 CEO makes and make them correctly. You want to know why the CEOs get paid the big bucks? Because they make the other 5% of the decisions that the non-professionals cannot make. And it's, it's, it's not about head knowledge of knowing what to do. It is the fortitude and the heart knowledge and the strength to do it. Sometimes you've got to let people go. Sometimes there's got to be transition. Sometimes you've got to take big steps of faith. Sometimes you've got to do things that it may not make you popular, but you didn't, God didn't call you to be popular. He called you to be his child. And, you know, we, we, we get people in, 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 in the ministry, and everybody's going along, and we're growing, and then all of a sudden... Bubba is dragging the team down because Bubba isn't growing with the rest of the team. Bubba has got junk in his life going on. And as John Maxwell said, it's like kick the ball and drag Charlie. Here we go. Come on. And there will be people, no matter what size or level a church is, as they continue to grow, there's just some people that will not be able to make the transition. And it's not that God's not calling them to make the transition as much as they're just not willing to continue to surrender themselves as a professional and continue to grow because they're caught up in a title. They're caught up in a significance issue rather than a serving issue. Let me ask you this. In five years, where do you see yourself? If things get better when we get better, where do you see yourself? It's amazing how when we talk to married couples that are going through a rough, rough time and we say, you know, forget about your spouse. Just start praying for you. Pray about you. Work on you. Get in the word. Think about you. Weeks later, they come in. Oh, I just can't believe it. My husband, he's just so much nicer. My wife, man, she's, she actually loves me now. Why? Because it's really not the other person. It's us. So what are we doing to continue to grow our skills? Who's in your life? Who's your mentors? Who are you hanging around with? Who are the influences in your life? They say that you will become, in five years, like the five people that you hang around the most. Your family counts as one person. So take your family out, look at the other four people that you hang around the most with, and you're going to be just like them in five years. Is that, are you moving up? You moving down? You're not moving at all? If you're the smartest kid in the class, you're in the wrong class. That was never my problem. Bless my heart. I, seriously, I was, I was in special ed and didn't know it. I, thank you. Because... I was starting in inner city school, and then mom and dad took a church in the country and went to this church, and they had a smarter program than the inner city school. And, and so I thought I was in this special class helping all the kids that had special needs. I was a helper to the teacher. I, I thought I was special in that way. And I think it was a couple of weeks before the teacher figured out that, no, Dennis, you're not a helper in the class. You're in the class. Really? I thought my bus was shorter than everybody else's. 
Uh, I'm just going to read number four. Professionals know that personal integrity is all you have. There's tons of scriptures on that. But number five, professionals aspire to be masters of their emotions, not enslaved by them. I want you to write down 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. Later in the verse it says that uh, we need to add to our knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness. Professionals are steadfast. They have self-control. It's, it's amazing to see our military as they go through training and, and when a crisis happens or our police and when something takes place, how they just lock into their training. They fall back to their training. Those skills have been developed. Why? That's a good treasure. They built up that, stored up that treasure. And this is what we can do. It's very difficult to work with people that are emotional all the time. I didn't say there's anything wrong with emotion. There's places for emotion, time for emotion. I believe in crying. I believe in laughing. Uh, you know, but I'm talking about people that are that, that are nitroglycerin emotional, right? You, you could say one thing, and they don't blow. And so the next day you're like, and boom. Because you have no idea what the response is going to be, how they're going to react. Let me tell you something. It's difficult to be respectful when all you want to do is just let it go. But professionals maintain composure. They maintain their objectivity and keep their wits about them. Professionals manage their ego and resist the urge for immediate gratification. And some people, they're like, I really don't care what you think. I'm going to act however I act because you know what? You need me. You need me. You need my gift. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have a keyboard player. Well, you don't have a keyboard player. Apparently, that didn't work out. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. But I, but I mean, you just run into people like that. that what is that? That's a spirit of manipulation. It's witchcraft. Because they're trying to manipulate you and, and the vision that God has placed on the, the church. Oh, yeah, well, you do that. I'm going to do this. That's not surrender. Terry C. Warner, he said this. He said, one sign of an immature mind is the ease and the frequency it feels offended. Isn't that what it is? You know, I believe, I believe in correction and I believe in rebuke. I don't believe that we have to do it often. But if you look how often Jesus rebuked the disciples, if that was today, most of us would be in counseling. You know what Jesus said about me? <laughs> right? He said I didn't have any faith. I've been a Christian for 47 years. I've been healed like 27 times. I've got faith. I know i got faith. Jesus is being mean. He's not Christian. Right? But you know what? A professional understands correction. And a professional doesn't take correction personally because a professional is ready to grow. Mm-hmm. You know what? Some people might come up and say something that is absolutely off the wall to you. <laughs> and Pastor Lorna, we've, we've had that happen. People come out and say something. Da, 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 da. And I have to step back. And the first thing I always have to ask before I say they're a moron, Lord, is there any truth to that? Is there any truth to that? Why? Because if we're going to be like Daniel, if we're going to be that consonant professional, it's because the excellent spirit, the knowledge, the understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems are in you now. Bow your heads with me. Nobody looking around. I just want to ask this question. And I just want you to just raise your hand as a sign before God. If you would say here today, 
that before this moment, I really never considered myself as a professional. But today I'm going to change that. Will you raise your hand? I'm going to see myself differently. I'm going to talk about myself differently. I'm going to look at who I'm hanging around with. I'm going to look at my attitude. I'm going to look at my emotions. And I'm going to begin to allow the word of God to be effective in me as never before. Father, I thank you today for transformation. And Lord, while we believe on the laying on of hands, we also believe that we shouldn't just be here, but there's just some things we just got to get up and do. We just got to do it. We don't need to over-spiritualize. We just need to do it. And when we're a doer of the word, Father, the blessings come. When we're a doer of the word, breakthroughs come. 